Hello, and welcome back to the prequel at the end of the book podcast. Uh, today, your hosts are me, Rachel. Lydia. And Courtney. Yeah, and Courtney's back. Yay. Brief thing about housekeeping before uh, we get into the episode, but it was recently announced that starting on the 21st of February, the Winchesters will be going back to the 8 p.m. Eastern time slot. Also, we previously had thought, and so we announced, that there would be no valentine's day episode uh that it would be a repeat turns out that is probably not true turns out uh an episode entitled you've got a friend one of my favorite carol king slash james taylor songs will be airing that day so just wanted to clear that up and then also nita kershid will be joining the rest of the cast on the creation con circuit starting with atlanta so very excited about that so tonight's episode is for Cast Your Fate to the Wind. It was written by Rachel Lynette and directed by Kristen Lindell. So the summary for this episode, it starts with a vampire heist with a group of monsters T-boning an armored car. And inside the truck, rather than just money, there seems to be a lot of artifacts and personal effects. The vampires are zeroed in on one item in particular, um, a box embossed with the Men of Letters symbol and the initials RJM. And we next see Mary and John walking around town contemplating the identity of the man we know to be Dean. And they also have a discussion of where their relationship stands and how long they'll be able to keep it a secret from the rest of the Scooby gang. While in town, they also have a semi-awkward run-in with Kyle, the reporter Mary went to the movies with. Scooby gang catches wind of the supernatural nature of the armored car run-in and decide to check in on the crime scene. While there, they encounter the connection to the men of letters and are seen by Betty, who is awfully suspicious of them. And then back at the clubhouse, the gang is able to connect the initials to an R.J. Markham, who turns out to have a locker down in the clubhouse's locker room containing a unique amulet. John grabs hold of it and sees his death at the hands of the vampires they're hunting. The group decides that to avoid his death, they have to keep John restricted to the clubhouse. In their research into the mysterious amulet, they're referred by Anton to an artifacts expert who confirms that the amulet is meant to reveal the holder's fate. The amulet is tied to the Ushitari, the Romanian gods of fate. Their expert betrays them to the vamps, who are a cult dedicated to worship of the Ushitari, and have been tracking the amulet for some time. The ensuing scuffle ends with the artifacts expert dead and the gang scrambling for more information as the lead vampire gets his hands on the amulet and also foresees John's death at his hands. Betty approaches Millie about her concerns that John may be falling in with a bad crowd. The two discuss John and his history and Millie tries to throw Betty off the supernatural scent trail around the core four. Later, Betty catches Mary lurking around the site of the attack and confronts her about her recurring presence around crime scenes. The two exchange sharp words, and Betty threatens Mary that she'll be watching her. A raid on the vampire's lair by Carlos, Lata, and Mary reveals the blueprints into the Men of Letters clubhouse that the vampires grabbed in their heist on the truck, and realize the vampires might be exploiting a weak point in the sewers. Realizing this, the gang heads back to the clubhouse to protect John. The clubhouse, John and Millie are researching vampire lore and have a heart-to-heart about the concerns Betty raised with Millie earlier. Millie checks in with John about how he's doing and reminds him not to let the fate stuff get to his head because, in her words, fate is what you make of it. Mary calls to warn them that the vampires are on their way to the clubhouse, and John and Millie make a run for a more secure location within the facility. 
They're horrified to realize that the vault they find refuge in is the room where John foresaw his death. Outside, the rest of the gang pull up, and Carlos confronts the vampires left outside uh, uh, left outside as guards in spectacular fashion, buying Mary time to slip past into the building. She fights her way through a hallway full of vampires, only to realize she's arrived too late and the leader of the cult is feeding on John. He turns to attack Mary, only to freeze as he realizes he's consumed dead man's blood. Uh, with the vamp faltering, Mary cuts him down, and a tearful Millie explains that John insisted she kill him by shocking him with some loose wiring in the room so that his blood can be used to poison the vamp, buying the other's time to defeat him. Uh, Mary and Millie perform CPR on John as Carlos and Lata reach the vault. John eventually revives, and he and Mary share a passionate kiss while Carlos and Lata argue about who called it in the background. John and Mary talk through their willingness to risk the office politics and be together openly and arrange a date for that evening. Uh, the episode ends with Betty and Kyle meeting in a diner. Their conversation reveals that Kyle was the one who initially planted the idea uh, with Betty that Mary and her friends might be trouble, and Betty apologizes to him for not believing him at first. Kyle challenges her on her framing this as all Mary's fault and acting like John isn't responsible for his own involvement. And Betty pushes back by asking what a journalist is doing, digging into some random people from Kansas. Kyle replies that he just wants to understand what's going on in Lawrence. And we see the puncture marks on the back of his neck that mark him as possessed by an Akrita. The group chat as that shot like ended the episode went wild it was really cool it was really funny <laughs> and then we got the preview which oh yeah and then we got the preview for the next again. i know um the preview gave me a brain aneurysm <laughs> and nobody like i was like freaking out about the preview and i was like why is no one else talking about it and jen was like i didn't see it i was like what do you mean you didn't see it anyway <laughs> Um, next week is gonna be crazy. Yeah, I'm so uh, excited. I feel like all the the rest of the weeks are all gonna be totally bonkers. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it. It is uh-huh. November fifth every Tuesday from here on out. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was that was a fun episode. I really enjoyed that episode. We're gonna talk a lot more about Carlos as we should, um, because Carlos is just. What a gift. What a gift this character is <laughs> to this franchise. The first the first thing that we all noticed and really loved about this episode was um Carlos Carlos's interactions with the witness of the week, the guy who was driving or like with the driver of the armored car because I feel like the original supernatural could have like some questionable you know, moments around hunting as a concept. But um, this scene with um, Carlos talking to the driver in Spanish and then believing this, his, you know, crazy story and affirming that, you know, telling the cops would be a bad idea. Uh, it does a really good job of underlining the good things that hunters bring to the table that's valuable to the people who are victimized by, you know, supernatural related violence um and then it was also cool to notice the difference between like his spanish which was pretty casual and like lived in uh versus betty's spanish when she shows up in in this scene because hers was much more formal 
this, like, you know, I, I noticed it when I was listening that usted is always a sign of more formality. A bunch of other people noticed it as well. And like, also in relation to like hunting um, and how the hunters can like interact with these people in a way that's, I don't know. I feel like it highlighted even just that difference in like the kind of Spanish that the two characters spoke highlighted that difference between like the help Carlos could offer versus the trouble that Betty might end up causing, you know? Yeah. Because he's not an authority. He's just a person. Yeah. Also, can we talk about how nice it is that they have two established characters that are not white and who speak Spanish so that we can even have that difference? Like, seriously. Never happen on Supernatural. Great. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking back now, too, to um, because Lata back in episode three spoke Urdu with the people she was on the phone with whoever those were. And I hope we get more scenes of that as well. It just makes me happy that anybody, anybody who they didn't have to have to make white to keep the, the canon of the show, like they didn't. Like everybody is like, like John and Mary and like their family members, from what I can think of right now, are the only like white people. The <laughs> only, like, and like Kyle, I guess, but like, you know, yeah, he's, he's like, a bad guy. I don't really give a shit about Kyle. <laughs> Kyle sucks. He's, his name is Kyle. <laughs> He's the Omega Man. Did John have to keep saying Omega Man? Oh my God, like, I know. <laughs> they did that for us. I know they did it for us. Yeah. Also, just like bank heisting vampires. What a concept. Carlos is right. It would make a great movie. <laughs> but yeah. I know the note here is what a deanism that was. Total deanism. <laughs> and the vampires themselves were just super fun and like true to like the camp that Supernatural offers up so nice, so well, so often. The makeup. Um, the makeup was great. The costumes were great. The actors were like serving. I don't know. I just enjoyed, I enjoyed the uh, villain of this episode. Oh, and the lore of um, Lotta, like, measuring the teeth marks. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. she's, you know, she's just like that. That's a new yeah. thing to add into. Yeah. It was fun. You know. Speaking of lore, holy water affects vampires now, question mark. <laughs> I, you know, for whatever reason, a lot of people in the chat were, in the group chat were like, since what does holy water affect him i'm like i did not even like question it i was just like yeah that's a thing that has always existed in the supernatural universe i don't know why i didn't realize it wasn't part of the lore but i didn't so like i feel like that like they are cluing us in on something there because what why does it what i don't know to me it was like this is not the same universe i feel like it just kind of it made logical sense to me because of like uh there is there is um like lore of like you know christian imagery like crosses being a vampire repellent so i guess kind of i guess it sort of just made logical sense in my mind whether or not it was part of the lore but Mm -hmm. if it wasn't then i probably is some sort of like hey maybe yeah i mean i just feel like i feel like i feel like an og supernatural they would have known yeah use holy water (laughs) like also, I also I don't even care because like 
it made for like one of the most iconic moments <laughs> in the Supernatural <laughs> franchise. <laughs> that hair flip and like the choreography of that fight scene was like incredible. Loved incredible. it. Obsessed. And then we have to and talk then- about it. We have to talk <laughs> then- about it. Carlos and Anton and their sweet little scene and their kiss. What I say, I literally screamed so loud. I screeched. I screeched in my apartment. I was like, I, and it, it sounds so bad that I like never thought I would see this happen. But also the fact that it's happening in the first season of this new show in the franchise, I feel like is such a pointed message about what they want this show and this franchise to be going forward. That mm-hmm. like, it means so much. Yeah. You know? I just, ah. Yeah. It was just so great. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I just, I'm going to live in that kiss for like, so like, the rest of her. It was so it was sweet. Like, you were so cute. You knew it was going to happen, but it was yeah. almost like I didn't even believe that it was going to happen. I know. Like, again, like, I never thought that I would see two men of color kiss on Supernatural, and one of them is a main character. Yeah. What? What? What yeah. is happening? <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. also the I like- first, like, untainted romantic moment, really, that we've had at all yeah. on this. Because you kind of have to take John and Mary out of the equation because we don't really know what's going on there. So it's like they decided the first real romantic moment they were going to have on their show was going to be between two men and it was going to be two men of color. And like they did that. That was their choice. and It was a great choice. It was so drama free too. like everything mm-hmm. about John and Mary has been like drama, drama, like stakes so high. Like, we don't even know if it's, if it's totally like their own free will that they're doing this with right now, you know, and just to have that like softness and sweetness and like flirtiness of that moment. And they lingered. I know. Oh, so I cried. I cried legit. <laughs> yeah. It was just so cute. I like, I'm just going to keep saying it was just so cute unless until somebody interrupts me. So like, can I, can I just like put up unhinged thought in here really quick? Sure. Go ahead. Weren't there like two gay hunters that Dean meets up with that say the new John or something? It was Jesse and Caesar. Yeah, Jesse and Caesar. They say that they met John. I thought they. I don't. I don't know. Don't take my word for it. I've seen Supernatural once. (laughs) I thought they knew John. I remember that. Um, But but I could be wrong. I think it is. interesting to like that you bring them up though because like I would say that's the only other like gay Mm -hmm. couple that they've shown on the show aside from like a couple of Charlie's hookups right um and they didn't even get to kiss they just like had they had very sweet moments but they didn't get to kiss you Mm -hmm. know and they were one-off characters they never came back we never heard about them again yeah I was just, I was just thinking, like, I don't know if we're talking about like multiple dimensions and multiple universes. Yeah. 
that was um, that's that's the uh yeah. caesar and jesse are the uh anton and carlos of og espn yeah so i feel like given what we're gonna talk about for like a lot of the rest of the episode um we would be remiss if we didn't also point out that that scene with carlos and anton and their kiss um I, I would say that it, there was a bit of a Destiel parallel there with this idea of like, you know, they had their date and uh, Anton, I guess, was probably pretty clear about how much he liked Carlos because Carlos freaked out and like drew away and like didn't didn't contact Anton. And in the scene, Carlos said, you know, I'm going to be I'm going to be brave and I'm going to take that and take the second chance. Um, now I'm responding to your interest. He's gonna be brave. He's gonna be brave. I know. Um, so yeah, we bring it up because there was so much in this episode that was felt very, <laughs> very pointed as Desiel parallels. So that is gonna be what the bulk of this episode. <laughs> It's almost like they're trying to say something. So you know. Yeah. Uh, I've talked a lot this first section. So somebody else. I'm literally going to go into labor thinking about this. (laughs) (laughs) You have a Destio baby. (laughs) Now I'm literally going to be like, hey, guys. Like, when when does the. Let's say Destiel does go canon on the 13th episode or something. I will, like, y'all think I'm joking. I can't watch. I'm not going to be able to find that shit out. If, I, if I'm like, well, my water will break. Literally. I don't know if you've already decided on a baby name, but I think you've got to consider free will. Yeah. Or, like, I don't know. Destiel. The first baby named Destiel. Cassie, Deanna. <laughs> My last name. Anywho. Yeah, let can we talk about Dean's narration at the beginning? Because I literally almost threw up. Um, um, yeah. But I, when he said, this isn't how I saw things going when I pushed over that first domino. Wh- what are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> the thing is, I've had more than a few dances with free will and fate. As my dad used to say, fate is what you make it. So is it just me or I feel like this is confirming that it's not like a closed loop sort of situation. Like he is confirming that he has changed something that didn't originally happen. That's what it sounded like to me. Well, he's definitely like present in the past and doing things for sure. So like it's entirely possible. He's knocking over dominoes apparently. Um, Congrats on that. when you said that i was like what no no same i heard and i was like wait so like like first he said the first domino thing and i had barely had any time to process that and then he said well i've had more than a few dances with free will and fate and i was like wait a second what wait they're like (laughs) (laughs) they're just like putting it all out there now (laughs) like not to say that they weren't before but like i feel like these are the themes that we've been talking about in terms of like a lot of our theories about what's going on here. And like, it just feels 
like things are falling into place and yet oh. things still so mysterious um <laughs> it's happening i don't know what it is yeah. but it's happening it's so much yeah. of <laughs> things that i don't know are happening <laughs> um, i just feel like <laughs> the brain rot has absolutely t- like we're just like i know we're like <laughs> how do we even talk about it like um the other part of it, though, is that, you know, my dad used to say fate is what you make it. Um, I, I like the little uh, inclusion of something that uh, indicates some intergenerational wisdom instead of trauma mm-hmm. for once, because he st- he says that, you know, his dad shared that with him. And then at the end of the episode, we learned that John learned it from Millie. And so it feels like it highlights, like, you know, a lot of trauma got passed down a lot of terrible things happened to John and Mary and then Dean and Sam. But also, there was also love. There was also love, which is what Daniil kept reminding us at uh, (laughs) Comic-Con. But yeah, it's just so much of the love and um, sort of wisdom from those previous generations. Um, I liked seeing that highlighted. It was really nice. I just like that Dean gets a part of Millie. Yeah. I want to see what the two of them. So I guess I'll I'll say this just because I noticed it last week also, and then it was amped up even more this week. But Mary had some very glamorous makeup on, very intense, like smoky yes. eye happening, some highlight. Like it was pretty, it was noticeable. Uh, she had some pretty nice eye makeup last week also. I was like, looks great, but it's very done up for the Mary that we seem to have been getting to know. Um, mm-hmm. And then she had these like giant platform heels on <laughs> and uh, I was like, what is happening? Cause I feel like she hasn't really, the clothes themselves, like her shirt and her pants felt, you know, like fairly typical Mary, but the rest of it felt odd to say the least. It's the amianization of her. Like, yeah. she, like her hair looks so much closer to the way Amy's has yeah they're doing the more intense like you know uh what's the farrah fawcett jesus christ it's getting closer (laughs) to the farrah fawcett like you know uh curls and and it's just interesting that this happens as soon as she and john get together to me whether it's because she's like trying to like be who she thinks she want john wants her to be or you know for other reasons um, remains to be seen, but I do just think it's interesting that uh, they've been doing this. I kind of want to go back and watch from the beginning again, um, just to see if they've been doing this subtly the whole time, and we only are just now noticing because it's gotten very noticeable. Um, My favorite part of it is when she's like literally fighting John's fate, and the blood gets all over her and like ruins the look. So good. The imagery of that. So First of all, huge win for those of us who love women covered in blood. <laughs> yeah. Like, just mm-hmm. like huge win. But mm-hmm. also just like the metaphor of it. Great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, it was hot. You know. <laughs> I mean, that's the main point. That's it was hot. Point. It was hot. Yeah. They didn't give us men's tits this week. So yeah, they make up for it somehow. Yep. And they did. Seriously, I feel like I'm talking so much. So if other people want to like take the next you're doing great 
I, I feel weird. And I am so conversation. <laughs> mentally unstable right now after the picture Misha posted and being oh, pregnant. Yeah. I don't have any brain cells. So you yeah. go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in that case, um, the other thing that we're very <laughs> side-eyeing, very side-eye-ish about is John's very convenient, very last-second resurrection. Um, I feel like he was out for too long for there to have not been some sort of conversation with some entity in the ether mm-hmm. before he came back. So I wonder if we'll get a flashback at some point. That would be cool. Because just... I just do not believe, I do not believe that oh it turns out that half-assed cpr worked (laughs) um so uh um yeah i remember yeah when he did that what did i put what did i put in the in the chat oh i said i said jonathan you are so dumb you are your father yeah oh god yeah uh or you are your son's father that's what i said (laughs) but um, oh my god how Dean coded mm-hmm. um, the pen? Or Sam coded the pen? It was both. It was both. It's Winchester know? coded. It had, the, it, it had Winchester the, coded. the same flavor of insanity as the as the, as Sam, and you know, the uh, act itself was very Dean. So, you know, but because of these, uh, like, you know, things that we were side eyeing. Uh, we just we're we're very suspicious. We're very suspicious about uh, who may be interfering with these two right now. Because I feel like it's very clear at this point there's interference aside from Dean. So, you know, the show's gonna make me go. I love this note. This of course has no implications whatsoever for the wider show or for Dean specifically. <laughs> <laughs> that oh, okay. Note. So that's that's an extra little note on uh, you know, uh, from our writers about it's it's an interesting take i think or look at what you know fate can mean you know uh because you know it features this death that's supposedly meant to be at the hands of vampires also you know it also says that just because you've seen one aspect of something faded doesn't mean that there isn't context you might be missing or information you don't have that completes the picture more than just this like little snapshot you've gotten so yeah so yeah this of course has no implications whatsoever (laughs) for the wider show or dean specifically also i'm so sorry death at the hands of um vampires like come on he came back when it seemed like he wouldn't and dean's here i'm all right we need I just want to like scream at the top of my lungs. I know, literally. Like, that is how I feel about every, since last week's episode, it's been like, I just feel like every episode, I'm just gonna, it's just all uphill from here. Yeah. I I think this is actually a really good point because um, John saw himself like dead on the red carpet and they were all like oh my god we have to stay away from the red carpet and all of us were watching it with the pool table red carpet being like you idiot like it's right there and then it wasn't even that because we didn't have the context like yeah. we were wrong yeah. it was like a literal red herring 
Yeah. But this is the only thing we were wrong with. Oh, me too. Because he was like sitting right oh, there. Wasn't there the, the red carpet? Yeah. Isn't like the ceiling of the van red too or something? Somebody said like. Yeah, there was like the red yeah. carpet in the van. They, they yeah. put red carpet everywhere. <laughs> On uh, purpose. Also, like, side note. Who designed or, like, did the interior design for the Men of Letters Clubhouse? Because that red carpet is so ugly. (laughs) (laughs) It was really ugly. It was really bad carpet. Um, But, you know, hopefully we won't see it again. So, you know. But, yeah, I just, like, I really like – this is what I was hoping that they were going to do with this, though, because I – just like the concept of turning like a prediction for your future that like supposedly has to happen is going to happen and like turning it on its head by by explicitly saying like hey you didn't have context for this so yes this happens but there's more and like the idea of like the big the big picture matters when it comes to these things and like just because a detail might appear to be one way doesn't mean you have to resign yourself to to that thing, you know? Yes. Can I just, sorry, I just had a thought. <laughs> Unhinged thought of the next five minutes. John was brought back to life after he was killed by vampires. Well, I guess he wasn't killed by vampires, but like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, because of vampires. He was brought back to life by his mom and his girlfriend. And I just feel like that was Jensen (laughs) being like, Dean should have been brought back to life by his brother and his boyfriend. That's my unhinged thought. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I concur. (laughs) I think that's (laughs) genuinely, I feel like that, you know, is a, Probably what I they just, were going for. I know. I just feel like everything was a stretch. If I had a nickel where, uh, with, uh, you know, two people trapped in a room doomed to a certain fate, <laughs> um, I'd have three nickels now. <laughs> and and that's just very strange. And, you know, <laughs> you know what they say about three times, too? Like, once, you know, it's an incident. Second time, it's a coincidence. Third time, it's a pattern. So, so you know, I see your the pattern you're putting down, uh, Robbie and Jensen. It just that man is so salty about that rebar. <laughs> like, so am so I. So but... salty about that rebar. So, like, technically the same as this too, Lydia. Right? He didn't die from a vampire. Like, a vampire didn't like kill him. Very but, true. But he did Ooh. die because of them. You know, so. he's so ill. I <laughs> affectionately, <laughs> affectionately. <laughs> In case you're listening, <laughs> um. uh, he's making my yeah. brain over. <laughs> Actually, I was just thinking to uh, Courtney what you said about like how how Je- like dean said jensen dean's presence um <laughs> uh, and like interaction with what's going on says this isn't a closed loop and i feel like the 
internal, like, you know, John seeing his fate, quote unquote, in the, in that, uh, locket or amulet, whatever they're called, amulet. And then, you know, it, there being more to it than that, I guess. Um, but it still happened anyway. So like, at first I was like, wait, this is an argument for the closed loop, but also it might not, still might not be the closed loop. I don't know. I don't know. But I feel like this is, could be like a, a little curious sort of bit of a clue maybe towards a timeline stuff as well potentially I don't know yeah I mean I guess it could still technically just be like a universe little to the left or something yeah um also we didn't talk about this but did anybody else like lose it as soon as they said amulet and then it turned oh, out no, same. oh same i 100 thought and then we were like fine like i was like holy shit like it is <laughs> it is the god tracker like maybe maybe the vampires think it's like an accreta thing i don't know um because i my live stream was like 10 seconds behind y'all's and so y'all were like oh my god it's a samulet and i was like what do you mean and then like mine cut to commercial I'm like did i miss it and no, y'all were just speculating, but it gave me a heart attack. Sorry, sorry. ahead of ourselves. <laughs> we got very excited. I do think that the fact that they introduced an amulet at all, when that significant look, especially in, you know, an episode all about fate, but like, we, they still haven't like, you know, because we are only just getting hints of Dean in the timeline again. They have not addressed that significant look at the Samulet in the pilot. And I just think it's interesting that they had a whole episode centered around an amulet and what it tells people. I want to know what Dean is doing, and I want to know right now. I know, literally. (laughs) I have no patience. I feel like like, um, uh, Veruca Salt, from Charlie and Chocolate Factory, just like I want it, I want it now. I want yeah. it now. Like a like a instant gratification. Instant gratification, like spoiled child, give it to me. <laughs> well well back on track. Anyway, um back on track. <laughs> of Dawn's darker side being brought more to the surface? Question mark, question mark. Yeah. Um, Actually, I do have a question because they keep yeah. hinting that John or like they not hinting they keep saying that John had like a really hard upbringing or whatever and I don't understand if they're hinting at something we don't know or if they're just saying that John growing up without a dad was the really hard thing and I can't tell which one it is I think maybe a bit of both maybe I think the you know complexes traumas he had from you know his dad leaving and then I'm sure Millie was working like all the time I'm sure uh he had maybe perhaps some behavioral issues because of that. Um, Cause they keep on referencing like, you know, he's always been a, a fighter and they were talking about him going back to his old ways in this episode. So maybe there is something, you know, bigger, like an incident that we're going to hear about at some point. But I also think that it could just be his like, I don't know, trauma response. It just sucks. I don't know. Yeah. It's intrinsic to him. Yeah. I love him though. Yeah. <laughs> but he sucks. Yeah. But I love him. <laughs> this is us the entire time, especially I, like last week too, um, with uh, John and then him like calling Henry out, or not Henry, Samuel out. And we were like, 
Okay, it John. Was like, it was like looking into the camera on The Office moment. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, like, I know like probably 65, 70% of my love for him is because he has Drake's little puppy dog face. Uh, yeah. His little, literally. you know, season one Sammy face. Yeah. But still, you know, yeah. it's hard to be like, oh man, I really love John Winchester. <laughs> was it this oh, episode yeah. where like Drake looked really good was that this episode yeah that was this episode really both both he and yeah. meg looked like all of them i would millie i mean all I, of them Mil- i was carlos I, but i could not like, stop looking at Dr- i was like oh my god i'm in love with this man wow <laughs> <laughs> right. well, cannot- he's older than me <laughs> he's a child to me so I like him in the way that like I want to wrap him in a blanket but I like him in the way that I would let this man do gross unspeakable things <laughs> do you want to talk about it Lydia tell us some more tell us more we have an E rating right for our podcast let's go yeah we've first you know I hope they never listen to this I don't know <laughs> I am married and pregnant but Drake, just kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. You can blame it on the hormones. You have the <laughs> yeah. perfect excuse. Yeah. <laughs> the hormones. Um, anyway. Oh my god. Oh my god. So I think actually <laughs> the the next little bullet point, you know, inspired a thought about the first one that we just chatted about. But um the conversation that Be- Betty and Millie had about John going off to war. And, you know, Betty, you know, makes this comment, like, she thought it would help get it out of his system and, like, he would be fine when he got home. And, like, all of us in the chat were like, Betty, girl, you thought war would fix him? Really? I know that's probably a way that people thought, but it just sounds so stupid. Yeah. (laughs) To, to like, us as, like, a modern audience, absolutely, it sounds idiotic, but – then I think it was, I think Pearl, I think you might've been the one that pointed it out or maybe possibly Laura, somebody did that, you know, back then, like that was how people thought about war. Like it makes a boy a man, you know? Because like um, the idea of like military school, like if you're being battled, yeah, send you to military school and, and it, surely and it fixes that you. everything. And like, really it just teaches you to, to shove everything down and, and turn that you know, energy, anger, whatever, inwards, which doesn't end well. Which is your fascism. But I think maybe, I feel like maybe that sort of idea of, you know, masculine, to use a phrase it's- that was very popular last summer when the boys dropped, um, <laughs> that toxic masculinity. Gentleman determined he ran with it. I know, seriously. Um, but I feel like it gives a little bit of context to sort of the environment that John grew up in without a dad like Henry around. Because if Henry had been around, I, you know, Henry still had his own issues, obviously, but he clearly wasn't the war, at least, you know, fighting it himself yeah, you, type. You get the sense that Henry was a little bit softer and that Millie yeah. is the one who leans more into those, you know, those views that aren't great. Like, obviously some of this is intrinsic to who John is, but also nurture is a huge, it's not just nature. Nurture is a huge part of who we are. And like with Millie being the one, the parent who he was raised by and she loved him and she did what she thought was her best and I often probably did do her best 
Um, but like, you know, some of the comments she said to him are like the exact opposite thing that would help him in the situation he's in. And then he grew up in this time where like, you know, people think war will fix a, fix a, fix a boy that's acting out when it doesn't. And so I feel like it's part of, I don't know. I feel like maybe that's sort of the thing that we should be taking, like picking up from these references to John, you know? Cause like, I don't know. I feel like that conversation about how like nobody is born awful or an abuser. You're shaped by the people around you and the society you live in. And then, you know, different people react differently to those influences, obviously. But, you know, I feel like there's a reason why we're having so many conversations lately about toxic masculinity and patriarchy is because, you know, generations of men and women and everybody in between have been so damaged by it. You know, and I just I feel like it, I I like the context that it gives to this character. I guess I don't know. Yeah, and and they talk about like how going going to war will get it out of him as if he has this violence in him, and it's just like a tank he needs to deplete. Yeah, which is not how that works. So it's almost like he has this intrinsic to him, but then they also make it worse by sending him to war. Exactly. So like, it's like, like it's not necessarily like a bad thing to be somebody who leans towards like, or like, I don't know, to have that impulse isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's how it comes out or how you channel it. That is the bad thing, you know, and the way that he's, you know, ch- been able to channel it and, you know, the situations that he's put himself in, but then also, you know, sort of the I don't want to say enabling because that sounds too harsh, but like sort of the enabling of it by those other people around him, you know, like he needed a redirection of the energy, not a valve leak, you know? This is why I'm still on my John and Lata train because she seems like the only person who's like rerouting him. Yeah. And I still think about how like he goes to her and seeks that out. And then it gets fucking interrupted by hunting. <sighs> Painful. Um, <laughs> I just love their little moment where he remembered about the rats. Yeah. Uh, They're cute. They are cute. I like them. They're cute. I, like them I do too. like them. I like them a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, back to this fix him, war will fix him conversation that Betty was having with Millie. First of all, why are you there, Betty? You're suspicious. So suspicious. I have so many questions about Betty and her stupid hair. It's literally, her hair is gorgeous. I'm so jealous of it. But girl, homegirl was doing her cops shit that like, I don't give give a crap about with her hair up (laughs) in her uniform. She goes and changes into a be- a pretty feminine dress and takes her hair down and goes to talk to Millie and then puts the cop uniform and her hair back up and goes and does more of her cop job later that day. What? You do all this, this for- This wouldn't be weird if they didn't take the time to point out that it all happened the same day. 
Right. Like if they hadn't done that, I would have just been like, okay, fine. Like whatever. They're different days, but they like pointed out, this is all the same day. Right. And it's so strange. And like, I, because like I noticed again, you know, the scenes where she's not in her cop uniform are the scenes where her hair is down, but we have noticed those moments. Cause they're, I mean, I feel like it changes the entire way she looks, you know? Well, there is the very first episode we see her. Um, she does have her hair down in the cop's uniform, but again, it's in the middle of two times when she doesn't have it down. And it's again, the same day and it makes no sense. Yeah. Like it's, she, she, she takes it down when she like wants something out of John or Millie, I feel like. Yeah. When you it's know? not like related to police business. Yeah. It's possessed behavior. She's a demon. We're still we're still she's on our Betty is, is possessed by an angel or gonna be possessed by an angel train, to be honest. Um she's still think, um suspicious as we're she. also having fun with but. the Zachariah thought that she's just like she put her hair down and got dressed up to go see the MILF. <laughs> Which like Zachariah so loves having hair to style for once, you know. <laughs> um you know. Oh, Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's I just I think it is interesting that she's like Betty clearly sees herself at least as far as we know right now as like the protagonist who's protecting John from Mary's influence you know there was another moment I think I'm the only person who thought this was suspicious but when she was talking to Millie and she's like yeah I talked to John just like you said we would I was like what does that mean I can tell by the look on your face that, like, I'm the only one who thinks that's weird. You don't even know. No, remember. I didn't even notice. No, I didn't remember. But when I watched it, it again. Just, let, me, yeah. let me pull up the transcript. I heard, thought the way that she emphasized Millie's name at the end of the scene was very strange. It was v- vaguely threatening. I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> Betty, you're just so creepy in every way. What is going on? Yeah. Who are you? Um, I will say, though, I feel like the tension that you could cut the tension with a knife between her and Mary at that second altercation, I guess you could say. It's just like they hate each other and I'm like, kiss. You know? <laughs> That's fair. Yes. But yeah. She says, so John gave me my grandmother's ring back. I'm get and then Millie says, I'm guessing where did Rachel go? Rachel. Okay, she doesn't matter. She's not important to this. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but Betty says, so John gave me my grand mother's ring back and Millie says I'm guessing you two finally talked and then Betty says just like you said we would and I, I don't know why it was so weird to me it just stood out but I guess we should wait for Rachel I'm back sorry about that I don't know what you back? happened that must have been so weird too I was like uh, hello? and I couldn't hear you guys and you guys probably were just like Rachel Rachel <laughs> we were we were well. We were Courtney was reading the script, and like you disappeared, and then you came back, and you were still talking. And I was like, oh, she's been talking oh. this whole time. I am on a hot spot right now, but like it's been working pretty well. I've been on it. Um, I was saying something about Betty being being possessed, but Courtney, you can just say your thing because I could couldn't hear you say it, and I don't want to miss it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, it's not that important. It was just Betty said, so John gave me my grandmother's ring back. And Millie said, I'm guessing you two finally talked. And then Betty said, just like you said we would. And there's just you something know, weird about it. You reading it the like, exchange what? reminded me. And I don't know. I feel like I noticed it in the moment also. I was like, 
hmm, interesting way of putting that. And then like the rest of the scene happened and the rest of the scene was also so weird. And I got distracted by her. I thought it would fix him moment (laughs) that I, it completely, you know, flew out my brain, but now I'm thinking about it again. It's like, yeah, strange way of putting that. Maddie is just a strange little girl. Uh, (laughs) With great hair. With great hair. Yeah. So the final scene. The final um, scene. So like, it's possible that her suspicious behavior was just like red herring-ish. She's just a person who's getting, uh, cause you know, Kyle is possessed for sure by Anacreta and like, maybe that's all we've got a possession, uh, possession for. He's the only character, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm still pretty suspicious about Betty being an angel. I wonder I wish I could remember who floated this idea in the chat because I want to credit them, but I can't. Um, but somebody floated the idea of Betty be still being possessed by an angel and she's like interfering in this way, like seemingly trying to get between John and Mary because they've met too early. Like Dean is fucking things up. He's making things happen that shouldn't be happening. We got to get in there and like keep them apart for now, you know? So I don't know. I don't know. I still think that the San, the, the San Miguel painting is still too much for me. I like can't forget it. I think I still think she's an angel. But since we do have confirmation of Kyle being possessed, let's chat about it. <laughs> Fucking Kyle. I Kyle. still can't get over it. Like, I feel like Kyle is the perfect name to be like, Kyle. You, like, ugh, I'm done with you, Kyle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. How long has he been possessed? That's the question. Personally, yeah. I wonder if he's been possessed like, that time. Like, like targeted Mary, you know? I know. That's what I'm thinking. In the first place. Right. He's the leader. He's the queen. Kyle's the queen. <laughs> yeah. The Omega yeah. Man is the queen. But like, there is a possibility that like he was only possessed later because he already had the in with Mary. So like, you never know. You never know. Um, but personally, I'm rooting for the. You know, he's been possessed the whole time. I'm so sorry. I'm speaking so slowly. I'm really pulling a Harry Styles podcast. Um, thinking about every single word before I say it. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what a boring story. Okay, sorry. What is this bitch doing right now? Anyway. Personally, um, I'm rooting for him being possessed the whole time just because one of our writers pointed out it would be interesting to draw some comparisons between like Kyle the Accreta spy and then demons like Brady who'd been pretty much monitoring Sam his whole life you know so I think that would be fun oh regardless this possibly explains the huge lens flare we saw when Mary and Kyle were leading the theater I feel like there are lens flares just constantly all the time that like it either means something that they're they're the whole time or nothing. They mean something because they've always meant something, I feel like. You know? 
but they're like so constant that. But I mean, it. Like but I mean, everything. like that's what we've been theorizing. <laughs> Whatever. Right? That everything happening. is fucked up right now. Yeah. So. Oh my god. I know. Guys, I'm so excited. Like I can't what I just, is like, happening? What is going circle? on? What is happening? <laughs> yeah, it's basically like the you know, that's I feel like that's the best way to wrap this up. What the fuck is happening? What is happening? Please. I, I would like to know, please. Jeff and Apples, I will send you my therapy bill. Very obvious parallel to the season one finale. <laughs> First, I was like, "What is happening right now? Like, why is that the yes. like?" I couldn't tell if it was the Impala or not, and I was like, "Is that the Impala? Like, what is happening?" Yeah, I thought oh we God, were I literally, thought it was literally. For. <laughs> um, so uh, <laughs> too, but yeah, next episode, very exciting. Next episode, um, I can't <laughs> wait. I can't wait. Oh Laura has gotten me. Laura has gotten me so deranged over this next episode. <laughs> With her, I feel like it might see D. Can't do this Girl. to me. Can't do it to me. Um, I mean, you can't do this to me. Oh, and also Laura's. Um, they pointed out the. The idea that the pictures they keep using of Dean are ones that are from like behind the scenes footage or whatever. That it's like basically cutting room floor stuff from Chuck's narrative, Big which I think was just Big brain take. such an amazing um, thing to point out. Who, who like, I don't know, anything's possible right now. Apparently, so uh, Robert Holden Deers, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. There's an X after an R at the end, and I'm like, Neat. but he's he was the first AD for the show, and he had an AMA on Reddit where somebody asked about the photo of Dean where they had photoshopped Sam over with a brick wall. Um, and, uh, you know, he didn't give a specific answer on that photo, but he did say like everything for the show was like painstakingly chosen and had a purpose. So, you know, I, it's entirely possible that Laura was right on the money with this being like, you know, cutting room floor stuff. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, this show makes me literally insane. Yeah, my brain hasn't had to work this hard in so That's why long. I feel like, you know, Courtney, what you're saying about, like, the lens flares, they're so constant that either everything is fucked up or they mean nothing. But that's why I lean towards that everything is fucked up. Because, like, it's, it is such a specific, like... Oh, yeah, totally. Because, like, you're... Like, the nature of a lens flare should be used for, like, emphasis on something. It, you shouldn't just throw them in there, you know? So, like, I feel like, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. So, there's so many. The thing is, I keep saying I'm going to go back and watch it and, like, no take thoughts. note of this. But there's just so many things to take note of that I end up taking no notes at all because I'm just, like, I don't know what to focus on. So, yeah. <laughs> it's simultaneously the best <laughs> and the worst show for us uh, ADHDers. Yeah. Honestly, though, I've been having so much fun, and I'm so glad that we're all watching this and having a great time because I feel like we're the only people in the For supernatural no, fans who are having so any great. fun anymore. We're not just having fun; it's we're having fun. a fucking blast. Yeah. We need to enjoy Dean as a live girl. I'm so grateful so. to this show, both for the show itself and what they're doing with it, but also for like the community of people that I've like found around it. 
Like, and I feel like they've injected hope back into the supernatural universe, which yeah. was, you know, severely lacking after the finale. I feel like there was a certain bleakness to the show in those last couple seasons. Um, mm-hmm. That, like, I don't know. I feel like they're turning this ship around. You know, literally, literally, this this ship. I, I just want very healing. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine like jackals being like nope we're not fucking yeah. going out like that like and I just like like that's what it feels like it's just I mean they had being they like have absolutely the like, fuck not I'm not ending my 15 before they even like, went back to film the finale so you know yeah, yeah. So it's like god, you, god bless his and heart. god bless him <laughs> I know I'm just so thankful for him I love him <laughs> Uh, <laughs> just pterodactyl screeching. Yep, we have, I feel like we haven't had any coherent thoughts since the Jensen, the, the, the photo <laughs> Jensen that he posted on Instagram last summer from the boys or two summers ago, whenever it was the the bathroom photo. Yeah, the screaming, just screaming. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's us. Anyway, all right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of prequel at the end of the book podcast i'm rachel i'm lydia i'm courtney please leave reviews we would love we would love a couple reviews where um i guess i can say this we are actually putting together a little bit of a press pack to send to creation to see if maybe we can get in in atlanta to talk to some of the cast members so if we could get a couple reviews that would be really awesome but yeah until next time bye until next time Bye. Bye. I I mean, you know. Why am I waving? (laughs)